0: Anyway, let's see, where were we? While you turn there, we're going we're gonna to need to put our imagination uh, caps on this morning and uh, imagine a few things together, some stories, some scenarios, uh, a few different ideas. Uh, the first one, we'll, we'll start in the city of New York. Uh, on the sidewalk, we see a man uh, who's working some sort of minimum wage job. He's got a wife, some kids barely aching, making ends meet. And he um, has decided that really what he needs in life to be more content and happy is just a little bit more money. And so as he's walking down the street, who should he run into but a man? Now, again, this is all hypothetical. We'll call him Vinny the Lone Shark. And so the minimum wage job earning man with family says to Vinnie the Lone Shark, he says, Vinny. You know, I'd like a little bit of money. It would really make life a lot easier for me. And Vinny says, How much do you want? And in our imaginative story, we will have him say, Well, Vinny, I think $200,000 ought to do it just fine. Thank you very much. Vinny looks at him a little funny and says, Okay, why not? And so Vinny uh, rolls out uh, the big wad of hundreds he's got in his pocket, gives this man $200,000 in a briefcase and sends him on his way. Well, this man is quite pleased now at his fortune, and he decides he's going to do some things to the family they've never done but always wanted to do, do a little uh, remodeling, maybe buy a place, uh, maybe makes a little investment here and there. Uh, And it's been a while since he's borrowed this money, and Vinny has yet to call him back. And so he starts to think maybe Vinny forgot. Maybe his, uh, you know, uh, loan shark secretary wasn't there that day. Maybe he's going to get off with this. And so he starts to become a little more casual with the way he uses the money, the way he takes care of the money, keeps track of it. A friend of his says, hey, listen, things are tight. Do you think you could spot me maybe, say, $10,000? And this guy says, well, why not? Why not? So he gives him $10,000. Another friend finds out that he's all of a sudden generous and says, Hey, listen, I need to borrow some money too. And, and, and he starts to lend out a whole bunch of money to a whole bunch of friends. Well, wouldn't you know that just by the time he's got nothing left, who should give him a call? I know. In our imagination, Vinny gives him a call. And he says, Hey, listen, I need to see you about the money. And in the meeting, the guy says, Listen, Vinny, about the money... I don't have it. I just don't have it. Wouldn't you know? But I could get it. If you just be patient with me, give me a little bit of time, Vinny, I'll pay you back completely. It won't be a problem. And Vinny says, you don't have my money. Do you know what happens to people that don't have my money? He says, I break their kneecaps. Bad things happen to people that don't have my money. And the guy goes, I know, Vinny, I know. I'm sorry. He says, but give me some time. I'll pay you back. And Vinny the loan shark, in our imagination, this all hypothetical, says, forget about it. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. Go on your way. Well, this man is in a shock. Because Vinny the loan shark does not do this kind of thing. He's not known for his philanthropy and generosity. And so he starts to think, what if Vinny, who's forgotten about it, what if all of a sudden he remembers it? And he just really can't trust the fact that Vinny's forgiven him of this loan. And so he starts to think, well, I need to pay him back. And and even if he does forget, I got to pay him back because it's the right thing. You know, you should honor your commitments to loan sharks. And so I'm going to pay this guy back. I don't want to be known as the deadbeat. And so he starts thinking about all the ways you can pay him back. You can do it maybe another minimum wage job and yet maybe a third and maybe his wife could pick up some some extra hours and, and maybe they could start to save some money. Maybe they could start to pay Vinnie the loan shark back. And maybe what he needs to do is start going after all his friends that he lent some money to and, and, and have a shakedown and get some money out of them. And if he does all of those things and works for you know a couple decades, then maybe he could pay him back. Now, we'll just pause because mathematically speaking, earning minimum wage in New York City, it's going to be impossible for this man to pay him back 200 thousand dollars it just is but he's thinking to himself i I bet i could do it and who should be walking down the street now except the friend that he lent ten thousand dollars to and so he grabs that friend he says listen do you know who i saw this week do you know who just who just caught up with me finney the loan shark and the reason I couldn't pay him back is because you haven't paid me back. And if you would paid me back, then I could have given him something. And so I want my money and I want it right now. And his friend goes, hey, listen, I don't have it. And he says, well, you better find it. Do you know what happens to people that don't have my money? And he runs through Vinny Spiel all over again with the guy. And he says, be patient with me. Give me some time. I'll pay you back. Now we'll go ahead and pause. And we'll take a break and we'll do some reflection on this story. Would you not do the same thing as this man? Maybe you wouldn't be so foolish as to get tangled up with Vinny. But if Vinny came and he's coming after you, would you not do whatever it took to pay him back? Well, sure you would. You'd shake down friends. You'd get an extra job. You might even try the lottery. Because anything is worth a chance of being rid of Vinny the loan shark. And we're not sure we trust Vinny's forgiveness. You know, what if Vinny should remember all of a sudden? We want to hedge our bets. And we're not sure that we should forgive all of our friends, right? I mean, because if we lend the money and then we don't ask for it back, where's it going to stop? You know, if we don't, if we don't enforce the rules and everybody's running willy-nilly all over the place, borrowing money and not paying it back and doing things they shouldn't be doing and not getting things right, I mean, what kind of world would this be? And so we think, you know, we've got to enforce the rules and we've got to require the payment and we need to pay these people back. And this is just kind of how we work with really forgiveness in general, not necessarily just loan sharks, but but forgiveness in general. And this is sort of Peter's dilemma. In in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came and said to him, He said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? Now let's let's just stop for a second. Because in Scripture, that question is completely isolated. We have no idea what prompts Peter to ask this question. It just sort of, in Matthew's book, it just shows up, like the disciples are having this philosophical discussion about forgiveness. And and Peter says, Lord, what do you think? How many times should we forgive people? I, I suspect, and you can't prove me wrong, that maybe this is motivated by a personal issue that's been taking place amongst the disciples. Peter, he's a little outspoken. He's a little obnoxious. The other disciples are picking on him. And let's see, we'll pick one in particular, Judas. Nobody likes Judas. Judas has been making fun of Peter, his Galilean accent. He's been, he's been spotting him some money for lunch and then he never pays Peter back. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. And Peter says, you know, enough is enough. How many times do I have to forgive this guy? And so he comes to Jesus. And can't you imagine this with the egg on his face? It's like, you know, Jesus, I have this friend. Well, it's not me. It's a friend that has a friend. And, you know, his friend doesn't pay him back. And he's making fun of his Galilean accent and his big fisherman hands and all these things. And it's not me, but it's a friend. how many times, you know, hypothetically speaking, should one forgive this person? And he says, you know, as many as seven times. Peter wants to appear generous. Seven's a good number. And Jesus said to him, he said, no, not seven times. But I tell you, seventy seven times. Or some translations say, uh, seventy times seven. Uh, Jesus is saying, you've got to forgive all the time. And that's a problem, isn't it? Because we're not sure that that really is a good idea. I mean, to forgive people all the time? To forgive people for everything? Really? I mean, if we were to really do that... I mean, what would happen? Anytime somebody sins against me, I'm going to forgive them. Anytime somebody does me wrong, I'm going to forgive them. I mean, at what point in time are we going to enforce the rules? At what point in time are we going to say, enough is enough? And Jesus here says, we've got to forgive all the time. It's difficult. It's really difficult to do. How can we make sense of this? Well, I think Jesus senses that question. He senses the problem. And He says, well, let me tell you a story. In verse 23, we have this parable of the unforgiving servant. It says, verse 23, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. And so the slave fell on his knees before him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe me. And then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him. He said, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused, and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. Now let's pause for a second to just get our bearings in this passage. This master king fellow is a very poor bookkeeper. Because you should not lend 10,000 talents to a slave. Odds are this is more money than the king himself would have made in a year. And so he's lent this much money out to somebody who we could suppose doesn't even own themselves. Poor choice. Poor choice. And now this slave is gone and he's given some money to somebody else. Now let's just pause and ask this. Whose money did he really lend out it wasn't his, it was the master's. Because a slave doesn't have that kind of money, a hundred days wage. And, and he goes after his friend, who probably, maybe, could probably pay that back. Anyways, we'll, we'll, move, we'll move on. When his fellow slaves, uh, verse 31, saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said, Listen, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. How long does it take somebody who doesn't even owe themselves to pay back what a king can't make in a year? The answer, forever. Verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, it's at this point... That those of us who've been in church for a while and have spent lots of time maybe reading the Gospels, we read this and then we insert all of these caveats to this story. We sort of have the lawyer running through our mind. Yes, you know, there are, uh, you know, exclusions and uh, subject to terms and conditions and all these things start going through our mind. And and as we read this, where Jesus says, you've got to forgive everyone from the heart, we start to go, well, you know, wait, wait a second. Yes, but in my case, there's an exception. And then we go because. And perhaps you've spent enough time in church that you've got this really well thought out theological answer for why you don't have to forgive somebody in a particular situation. And you go, see, I don't have to forgive them because. And so Jesus parable, it does not apply to me. And we sort of press that a little bit. We sort of say, well, what's the reason? Well, because they really did this. They were wrong, okay? And they really hurt me. All right, fine. Uh, and you don't understand, that to forgive them, this just would be a little bit too much. I don't think I could do it. And, and it's right there that we'd have to stop and say, that's right. You can't do it. You can. not You can't bring yourself to forgive. And that's why we have such a problem. It's because inside of us, there's not that capacity for grace. And so really what this parable is suggesting is that we've actually got to go back to the one that gave us all of that grace in the beginning, forgave us all of the debt, and we've got to go sort of hat in hand to God and say, hey, listen... Could I borrow just a little bit more? That's what grace and forgiveness is like. I mean, our man in New York borrowed all this money from Vinny the loan shark. He lent some of it out. He has a right to that money. Now, again, it's not his money, it's Vinny's money. And if he were to forgive those debts, it's like he's got to go back to Vinny and say, can I have just a little bit more to forgive this guy also? The slave in the parable, he lent out a hundred denarii. And if he forgives his right to that money and says, I don't need it back, then what he's really got to do is say, listen, I've given up yet another hundred of your denarii that I lent out and I told him not to worry about it. He's got to essentially borrow even more from the one that gave him everything to begin with. And that's the problem we have with grace. Because we don't really like the idea that we would be in debt to somebody. We don't really like the idea that we would owe somebody that much and that we'd have to come back hat in hand and say, listen, I need a little bit more today. And so what we resolved ourselves to do is something entirely different. Instead of forgiving people we sort of set out as our man in New York. And we say, I'm going to get this part-time minimum wage job in order to cover the difference between what you gave me and what I owe you. And so I'm going to work it back with this minimum wage job I call righteousness. And I'm going to work really hard at being super righteous. And I'm going to work overtime in extra hours and pick up another shift at the legalism bureau. And I'm going to work there too. And I'm going to pay all of this back. But we can't do it. And so we start to enforce righteousness in others and we start to be the police for others and we start to hold other people accountable to things that we ourselves couldn't be held accountable to because we think if we help other people be more righteous, then somehow that's going to pay our debt back and we'd rather pay our debt back than be indebted to God and dare we even ask for more grace. Does it really work like that? And I'd remind you to go back to the beginning of Matthew where Jesus says in the Beatitudes, He says, Blessed are the merciful... Merciful means people that are full of mercy for why? Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive what? Mercy. They shall receive more mercy. What on earth is somebody that's full of mercy going to do with even more mercy? They're going to give it to somebody else. That's how grace works. We take what we've been given we say, I can't pay it back, so what I'd mind as well do is borrow more. And Jesus says it's pretty important. Verse 32, what's really ironic about this story is that the king is so willing to forgive in the beginning. Forget about it. Forget about it. But then when this man tries to pay him back by beating it out of this fellow servant... Verse 32 says, The Lord summoned him and said, You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his worst fear comes true. What happens? He remembers what he had already forgotten. It says, In his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart and... It's right there that again, we sort of have that disclaimer that pops in, and we said you say Jesus didn't really mean that. I know Jesus said it, but this is before Paul wrote that we've been saved by grace through faith and not of works, so that no one could boast. and so Jesus here is saying that you're forgiven if you forgive other people, and that seems like a work, and so Jesus, well although we think that he you know he kind of meant it, he didn't really mean it. And maybe he just didn't understand. Jesus hadn't read Paul yet. Maybe he just didn't know. Poor guy. And we sort of insert this caveat that says, well, no, Jesus didn't really mean that. I can hold a grudge and I can still be forgiven. I can not forgive others and I can still be forgiven because, you know, I'm forgiven by grace. And it's not this. It's not this. I think we get in a dangerous spot when we start putting all these disclaimers and footnotes and all these caveats and say, Jesus said it, but He didn't really mean it because... I'll tell you what, I think He meant it. I think Jesus is serious. Why? And how does that work with this idea of grace? I'll, I'll tell you how I think it works. Jesus here is talking about a master who's a terrible bookkeeper. I mean, this, this guy lends all of this money... To somebody who doesn't even own himself, and then just with a flick of a pen, goes, Shh, "It's forgiven," and he laughs about it, and he sends him out the door. Jesus, I don't think is is taking this and painting a picture of this terrible bookkeeper who all of a sudden becomes a really good, be- good bookkeeper. And if if you know you forgive this person, this person, this person, this person not this person, well, you scratch your name off the list. I think he's talking about something a little bit deeper. I think what he's getting at here is a is a really internal problem that the slave had that, that even we have. What Jesus is saying is the master calls him in and says, listen, you want to play the numbers game. You want to play the bookkeeping game. Then let's play the bookkeeping game. I gave you a free gift of grace. And I hear that you're out there Trying to pay me back, I give you a free gift of grace. Where we forgot everything, and what you're doing is playing the numbers. I gave you a free gift of everything, and you're out there working a part-time job of righteousness, trying to pay me back. If you want to accept the gift of grace, then accept it. But if you want to play with the numbers, then you're going to lose every. You see, the reason I think this man has not been forgiven is because he could not accept the fact that he'd been forgiven and he insisted on paying the master back. And the master says, all right, I'll take these couple bucks that you've given to me, but it's not enough. Not enough. So what I think Jesus is getting at here is if we can't accept that gift of grace, then he'll throw the book at us. But Jesus says it's marked by a heart that is overflowing with forgiveness. Because if this slave had truly forgiven him, if this slave had truly received the forgiveness, rather, of the master, then he would have been so overflowing with forgiveness that it wouldn't have been a problem. Now, uh, this is kind of you know all hypothetical and theological and in theory. And, and I think a lot of us, we read the parable and we go, that's, that's great, man, that's a great story. But it doesn't work like that in real life. It just doesn't. I want to share a story with you. This is a real-life true story that I think gets this. In August of 1984, the day started out like any other for Shannon. High school student grabbed her books and pom-poms and rushed out the door for school. But Shannon never made it to school that day. I drove about a mile and a half down the road, and I remembered... That I needed to put lipstick on. I adjusted my rear view mirror for a quick application. And my car just jolted suddenly. And I thought maybe I'd hit a farm animal out of its pasture, she remembers. So she stops her car as fast as she could. She runs out to see this animal that she's hit. And it's not an animal. It's actually a crumpled bicycle with a woman bleeding on the pavement right next to it. She runs to a house, calls 911. But it's too late. The woman has died. Shannon just kept thinking about the ripple effect, she says, that this accident would have in so many people's lives. Later at home, the sinking of realization of what she did set in. I didn't know that I could cry that many tears, and there didn't seem to be any relief in sight. Shannon's thoughts moved away from her own grief to the thoughts of the victim's family. She thought, that was someone else's mother. How am I going to face her children? And that was someone else's wife. How am I going to be able to face her husband? Those questions would be answered shortly. The woman Shannon had killed was Marjorie Jarster. Her husband Gary was on a business trip when he received word of his wife's death. They told me that she'd been in an accident and that she was dead, recalls Gary. The thoughts were going through my mind, uh, was asking this, what would Marjorie do if it was me? And what would her response be? And I want to pause and just ask that of us. What would our response be? Now, I know we can't really definitively say until we're put in those kinds of situations, but wouldn't you want some justice? I mean, your wife is killed by somebody who's putting on lipstick, speeding to school. Don't you want somebody to make that right? To pay you back? Gary he decided on this. He said, no lawsuits, and no charges against the 16-year-old girl. But he wanted to meet her face to face to extend forgiveness. One of the things that the Lord was pressing on my mind when I was making the trip back was that I have forgiven you much. How could you not forgive? And that was my premise, or the thing rather, that was pushing me to meet with Shannon and forgive her because I'd been forgiven, So how could you not forgive? The night before Marjorie's funeral, Shannon went to meet Gary I took one step inside the entry door and I saw Gary down the hallway and he came running towards me, not with animosity in his eyes at all, but with his arms open, said Shannon. I just went and put my arms around her and hugged her and told her I forgave her, says Gary. And Gary shared about his wife's relationship with the Lord and he said this. He said, I don't want you to let this ruin your life, he told Shannon. God wants to use you through this and as a matter of fact, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy of being a godly woman on to you. I want you to learn to love Jesus the way that Marjorie did. Shannon was raised in the church. She was baptized when she was 12 years old, but up to this point, she wasn't living a Christian lifestyle. Shannon says this. She says, At the time, I was a 16-year-old girl. I was sexually active with my boyfriend, rebelling against my parents, but I thought I was a Christian because I went to church. I was the president of my youth group, but I didn't recognize that, yes, Jesus was my Savior and the Lord of my life. She realized that the God Gary was talking about was different from the God she knew. And in her own words, she said, I'd seen a a sight of God through Gary Jarsher that I had never recognized before. I'd always saw God as this distant disciplinarian ready to strike at me if I committed one too many sins. But because of Gary's actions towards me, I now envision God as this just, loving, unconditionally merciful God who's ready to scoop me up in a warm embrace. It gave me hope that perhaps if this family, and Gary especially, could forgive me, maybe God could forgive me too. and Maybe eventually I could forgive myself. Wow. Here's a story of a man who looked at this parable and said, I think Jesus meant what He said. I think Jesus meant that we ought to forgive. And I think that Jesus meant that we had to do it from the heart. And I think that He meant we had to do it all the time. I think God is like Gary. I think Gary, who found it in his self with the Spirit's help, if he could forgive this teenage girl who was speeding and putting on lipstick and driving recklessly who accidentally ran over his life, if Gary could do that with the help of the Spirit, how much more grace did it require a God whose son was killed by us, but not on accident, on purpose, as we willfully crucified Him with our sin? If Gary can do that and God can forgive us, then we might start to think that we could start to forgive others. And this morning, as the worship team comes, that's really the challenge. is to receive that amazing gift of forgiveness of God. That says, you know, I'm tired of playing this numbers game because every day I work this minimum wage job of righteousness and I still come up short. Maybe it's time I just accepted the fact that I owe everything to And this morning, perhaps you've accepted that gift, but you just have this really hard time forgiving this one particular person because of this particular thing that's been done. And you go, I just don't have it in me. Correct. You don't. And this morning, as we've made this offer in the last few services, we'll invite you to come forward. And if you say, I just need some prayer. I just need some help trying to start to forgive. I would love to pray with you. I know one of our elders would love to pray with you too. But this morning, let us receive that gift of forgiveness. And let us go out sharing that gift of forgiveness.